Uh, if you're new, my name is Jeremy. I'm the lead pastor here, and I want to welcome all those watching at our other locations as well as our online viewers. We're glad that you guys are with us as well. We're continuing our series that we started last week, Jesus 2020. Relax, not a political series. I'm not going to endorse any candidate. Whew, okay, we can breathe. In fact, I actually want to do the complete opposite. I want you to get your eyes off of the candidates, off of politics, and recognize that real change, if it's to come, doesn't flow from Capitol Hill, but it flows from the believers, the hearts and lives of us as we follow Jesus. And so what we're doing over the next eight or nine weeks is looking at what he wants us to become, what his description for an ideal Christian is to bring about change in this world. And uh, as we looked at last week, we looked at the Sermon on the Mount. It was a sermon on a mountain. Get it? Okay? It was a message that Jesus gave over 2,000 years ago that literally changed the course of history. And it's literally his description of what his followers are to be as a result of the grace that they've received. Don't miss that. This isn't eight rungs on the ladder. Remember the illustration last week, the mountain of beatitudes that he says you got to be poor in spirit, mournful, meek, merciful, pure in heart, hungry. Excuse me. Maybe I'm hungry. Hungry for righteousness, thirsty for righteousness, peacemakers. He says these aren't eight rungs of the ladder that we have to climb in order to get right with God. This is God coming down from his platform to make us right with him. And since we're right with him, this is how we are to live. And so if we hope to see the change that we want to see in this world happen, it starts with becoming more like Jesus as a result of being in Jesus. So if we're his, this is how we are to live. And that's how we're to, to read the whole sermon. If you read it any other way, it's crushing. You'll end up in despair because you can't do it. You're not pure in heart. That's the point. And Jesus was pure in heart for you. Now you can live like him. So we need to remember that first and foremost as we looked at the context of the Sermon on the Mount when we read chapter 4, Jesus is doing all these miracles. He's preaching about the kingdom of God is at hand. He's healing all kinds of diseases. And wouldn't you know there's a large crowd that follows him. His popularity went through the roof, but when we turn the page to chapter 5 when he gets into the Sermon on the Mount, he retreats from the crowd and he talks to his disciples. Now, most certainly there was other people leaning in and listening, but this message was primarily to his disciples as if to say, if you're going to follow me, you got to be different than the crowds. So if we're wanting to influence our world for Jesus, which we're going to talk about today, we can't look like the world. You understand that? We can't be like the world, look like the world, and try to change the world. We have to be Different, And so today, Jesus introduces how we are to introduce this change, what we are to be as a result of the grace that we've received. And he gives two metaphors that we're going to talk about today. This is what he says, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 13. You'll see this on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. He says this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, before we talk about the implications of what this means, we've got to first talk about the fact that this is something that you are. This is not something that you hope to be, work to be. One day, 
you know, wish to be. This is something that you are as a result of being in Christ. You are what? Say it out loud. You are your salt. So last week we introduced this first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We talked about how we're not just broke, we're broken. That you can't be filled with God unless you're empty of yourself. So what we talked about being spiritually bankrupt. When you come to the end of yourself, now you're ready to receive God in your life. So Jesus comes into your life and we're this empty vessel, this empty salt shaker. And he begins to fill us with his goodness. He begins to fill us with his mercy, his forgiveness. The Holy Spirit comes into our life and he gifts us and we're filled with him. We're no longer an empty vessel. We're what he calls the salt of the earth. You don't have to try to be salt. It's just something that you are. It's part of your identity. Think about salt for a second. I know this is going to be like rocket science. I know. But salt wasn't meant to stay in the salt shaker, was it? I mean, how many of you, you got like nice frames and flowers? Ladies, do you, do you like hang the salt on the wall just to look at it because it's beautiful? That's not the purpose of the salt. The purpose of the salt is not to be in the salt shaker. The purpose of the salt is to get outside the salt shaker and shake, right? It's supposed to spread. It's supposed to do a couple different things because there's a purpose. We'll have Pastor Levi pick that up later. But, but salt, if you think about it, is best when it's scattered, isn't it? It doesn't, it's not meant to stay in the salt shaker. And so when you think about the purpose of the salt in the salt shaker to get out, there's two reasons why salt exists. And, and this is true back then as it is true today. Salt, number one, was to preserve things. Now, we have refrigerators in our day, which you're thankful for that. But in their day, they didn't have refrigerators. And so they needed a way to preserve meat, especially, or fish, to slow down the decaying process. Because if you don't, you ever had like dead fish in your home for a few days? They're kind of like in-laws, you kind of, after a few days, you kind of got to get rid of them, right? Because it stinks. It decays. And so what they would do is take one of those branches, uh, a leaf branch, and they would dip it in, if they were especially nearby the Dead Sea, they would dip it in the Dead Sea because it was highly concentrated in salt. One of the reasons why it's called the Dead Sea is because living things don't really live in the Dead Sea because it's so highly concentrated in salt. People can literally float in the Dead Sea because it's so salty. And so they would dip the branch in the Dead Sea, they would collect the salt on it, and then they would bring it home and they would put it on their meat. And that process of having the salt on the meat would slow down the decay. It would make the meat last longer. And then when the salt would run out, guess what they would do with the leaf branch? They would throw it out because it no longer had a use. What Jesus is saying to us is that we are to be useful Christians. We're to be salty we're to be salty. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you're salty. Well, they're supposed to be. They're supposed to be. What does that mean? They're to preserve that which is good. As Jesus says in his Lord's prayer, we're to pray what's good in heaven should come to earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the good things that we see in heaven, the good things that we're longing for in heaven, we should want to see on this earth, but if you've read the news lately, we're really far from heaven, aren't we? There's all kinds of bad and evil in this world. You, you don't have to think too long about it to recognize 
this is not heaven. And yet God has given us common grace to not only believers, but to unbelievers. And we're to protect that common grace. To help what is good last. To go against what Romans chapter 1, if you've never read that before, go ahead and read it. But, but Paul talks about how people suppress the truth. And as a result of suppressing the truth, God gives them over to their evil desires. So much so that the, the stench of sin is disgusting in God's nostrils. And it should be disgusting in our nostrils as well. And so we, we want to slow that process down. We're, the culture is evil enough. When we are salt, we should be people in our community that push back darkness. That we should push back evil. And it shouldn't just avalanche into decay. We're to preserve that which is good. The second thing that salt does, and you know this, this is true today, salt seasons, right? I don't know about you, but I love me some popcorn, especially when we go to the movies. I know they salt the popcorn before they give it to you, but I salt the salty popcorn. I make sure it's really salted. If you ever had unsalted popcorn or unbuttered popcorn, don't get me started. That's just like cardboard. It's garbage. You know you need something on the popcorn, right? But in the middle of the movie, when you're enjoying the popcorn, you don't rave about the taste of the salt, do you? You rave about the taste of the popcorn because that's what salt does. Salt brings out the flavor of what it's put on. That's why you put it on french fries. We put it on eggs. Put it on pizza. Put it on a hamburger. You put it on anything. I'm making myself hungry right now. You... But you don't pour a bowl of salt for your breakfast, do you, in the morning? It's not like, oh, I'm hungry. No, like, oh. First of all, don't put salt on cereal. But you put salt on food to bring out the flavor of it so that it tastes better. So when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth... Don't you think that the communities in which we live, Olean, Arcade, Shingle House, even Shingle House, Wellsville, Allegheny County, Cattaraugus County, what is this, Monroe County? Okay. Don't you think our counties, our communities should be better as a result of us being here? That maybe we should not be the stereotypical church and the stereotypical Christian where we're known for our hatred or being hypocritical. Or how about this, judgmental? Right? Oh, you Christians are all alike. You're all a bunch of what? Hypocrites. Or you're so judgmental. You know that later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, be careful. Be careful not to judge. And he's not saying there's never a point in time where you don't make moral evaluations. What he's saying is be careful not to judge, to become so confused that you think you have no sin in your life that all you're concerned about is taking the speck of sin out of your brother's eye. See, other people think that we're judgmental because they think that we don't have a plank in our own eye. We don't have any sin in our life. And Jesus says, no, you're not supposed to be judgmental. You're supposed to recognize that you have sin in your own life too while you try to help your brother out. And so we should, we should, we should be known for something rather than always being known for what we're against. We should be known for how we treat one another, how we love one another, and not just being hateful, judgmental Christians. Churches should be known for what they're for. 
I love, our, I love that part about our church. Um, um, let me brag on the Arcade Campus. The Arcade Campus does this thing called the, actually it's not just Arcade, I think, well, I think multiple campuses do this. Maybe every campus does this. They do a backpack giveaway, school supply giveaway. Uh, Arcade did it this summer where we didn't know if we were going to do this for the community. And yet, this whole summer, we kept getting message after message after message of people saying, hey, are you guys going to do this this year? You can tell if the church is healthy. You can tell if a church is fulfilling its purpose as salt in the earth when the community misses it when you're gone. When COVID has slowed things down and people are wondering, is this going to happen? And so they ask about it. They ask about it. I like that about our church. Pastor Stu's doing a great job of leading that campus, providing haircuts for kids before school. I think they do dental hygiene stuff as well, and they give away school supplies. That's great. I know the Greece campus and the Wellsville campus, you guys have done blood drives here. There's a shortage of blood, so we offer up our facilities to do a blood drive. That's being salt within the community. It's, it's bringing out the flavor. It's making the community better as a result of the church being present in the community. The community shouldn't be worse. It should be better as a result of a church being present. Also, Greece, they did this, and the, the other campuses have done this before, teacher appreciation. This is a season and time where teachers are not feeling appreciated. And so one of the things that we did was provide, what was it, Pastor Levi, over 700 Packs of gum, if it's less, just go with it, okay? 700 packs of gum, 800 packs of gum, 900 packs of gum, extra gum, you know, the extra gum, and we put a little note on there for the teachers at all the Greece locations at the school districts and said, thanks for going the extra mile for our kids. Just to show a little, a little salt. Hey, we're salty. We want to bring out the flavor. We want to make sure that this community is better as a result of us being present within it. We don't want to be the opposite of just being known for being judgmental, hateful, hypocritical, Christians, we should, now that's true for a church, but when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he wasn't saying Crosstown's the salt of the earth, or this church organization's the salt of the earth. He's saying the church is not an organization, it's an organism, and therefore you're, you're, you're salt. You're salt, right? And so salt, again, is best when it's scattered, it's best when you get into your community, you get into your circle of influence, you get into your family, you get into your workplace, and you become someone, an individual who brings out the flavor of that workplace. Is it better as a result of you being there? Do you bring out the season or is it, or do people regret you being there? Would it be the salt of the earth? Salt is best when it's scattered, but if you think about this, Jesus then says these words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. You are the, help me out, you are the light. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Think about this. What does light do? Light illuminates darkness. Light pushes back darkness. It reveals that which is hidden. The other thing that light is, is light is not something that exists for itself. It doesn't point the light on the subject. You don't do this unless you're telling a campfire story, right? A ghost story at a campfire. You don't do this. What do you do? You, you turn the light outwards. Because light was meant to illuminate darkness. It was meant to reveal that which is hidden. So as Christians, we have the gospel. We're told in the Holy Scriptures that we are sinners. 
And outside of relationship with Jesus, we're separated from him for all of eternity in a place called hell. It's real. There's also a real place called heaven, and only perfect people can go there. That's a problem because none of us are perfect. We've already looked at that in week one of this message. But Jesus is perfect. And so Jesus dies in our place for the forgiveness of sins so that we can go to his place, a perfect place. Not on our own merit, but on his mercy. And we would say that's really good news. Because outside of a relationship with Jesus, we can't be made right with God the Father. So we have the light. We don't shine that on us. We illuminate Jesus and we thank him. We give him glory for that. And then we tell other people about this light. First and foremost, our light is to be a testimony of our lives of how Jesus has saved us to a lost world. And when that happens, whether through word or deed, whether through the proclaiming of the gospel through his scriptures or with your life, darkness is pushed back in our communities, in all of our campuses, in all of our, all of our towns, of all of our counties. Darkness is pushed back because we have the light of the gospel. Think about how important that is. If Christians start, stop shining their light in a very lost culture, then they won't know. I mean, it's crazy as a pastor, the conversations that we have of people who just, just say the most ridiculous things. The, you know, the one that comes to mind is essentially all religions are the same. They're not. I mean, it sounds nice, but even someone who is a devout Jew or a Muslim would tell you, no, they're really not. They're not. And so if we become silent, if our light goes off, this culture will not have the light. But we're also to, to let our light shine in good things as well, so that, as the Bible says, they'll see our good deeds and praise our Father in heaven. So the question is, if your light's not shining, what's the reason why? The Bible tells us the reason why. Did you catch it? He says, let your light shine. He says, nor do people light a lampstand and put it under a what? A basket, a bushel, or a bowl. I've got some bowls up here. Sometimes when we let our light shine and then it gets covered up with stuff, there's some reasons behind that. I was asking our staff this past week, what, what, what would be some of the bowls? What, what would be some of the reasons why our light gets dimmer or our light gets hidden by a bowl? Uh, someone said pride. Isn't that true? When we just think, I'd like, I kind of like attention. I like to be the center of attention. We get the whole sun and moon thing mixed up. We like to be the center of the universe rather than the moon that reflects the sun, which is what we're supposed to do. And yet we think, now, if I, just put this, if I just put me at the center, that would be better. I like the attention. You know, it's interesting when, um, when Jesus says in the very next chapter, if you flip over to chapter 6, verse 1, I had people ask me about this. Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for, the, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And the reason why there's no reward from your Father in heaven is because you've already gotten your reward. It was when you were front and center under the spotlight. That's it. That's all you get when you practice your righteous deeds before men. Notice he doesn't say, don't do righteous deeds before men, because the previous chapter he says, let your light shine so that they will see your good works. But then they'll do what? They won't praise you because you're not the center of attention. They'll praise your Father in heaven. What he's saying here is that motives matter. 
Why you do things matter. Why you let your light shine matters. And so sometimes when we become prideful and it's all about us, we put a bowl over our light. And as a result, light does not shine. Another way that we can make our light dimmer or hide our light is through uh, fear. I've read statistics that say that like 3% of Christians actually share their faith, uh, share their testimony. That's a lot of light being hidden. Think about that. We're not a city on a hill that's supposed to be unique and distinguished anymore. We've become lights that are under bowls because we're afraid to, sh- to just share what God has done in our life, to share what the gospel is all about. You think how crazy this would be if you had a conversation with uh, the Apostle Peter or the Apostle Paul. Do you know their stories? Peter, they think, was crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to suffer the way that Jesus was suffered and, and was persecuted. Paul, you know, his story in the New Testament, heavily persecuted. If you were to have a conver- if we were to have a conversation with the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, and we would say, you know what, I, I'm totally for the Great Commission. You know, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. I know you're going to be with me, Jesus. I know I have the Holy Spirit to empower me. And I know that's the Great Commission. That's what we're supposed to do is to let our light shine and to let this world know about the gospel. I know that, but I'm, you know, I'm, I've got reasons for not letting my light shine. And Paul might interrupt you and say, oh, I, I, I get it. I get it. I, I can empathize. I understand. You don't let your light shine. You don't talk about your faith because you're afraid of being fed to lions. And you might have to respond and say, well, not exactly. Not exactly. Oh, I get it. It's because you're afraid that, you, you know, your wife and kids are going to be taken away from you and swept off and put into prison. That's it, right? Not really. Oh, okay, you, you, it's just because you think you're going to lose your job. That's why you're afraid to share your faith. And you would say, well, actually, it's just because I'm, it's awkward. It's just awkward. Do you think they have a category for that in their head? Do you think they're going, oh, I get it, I understand that? They, they wouldn't even comprehend that reason, but yet for the most part, That's a lot of us. We're afraid because we're afraid of what other people might say about us if we start talking about Jesus. What's the result? A basket and a light. Another way that I think we let our light get covered up is um, it's distraction, right? We're, We're more fascinated by shiny things in this world than we are about being preoccupied with letting our light shine. And the problem is when we are so preoccupied with the shiny things of this world, we end up looking a whole lot more like this world, right? We pursue the the fancy things of this world, the nice shiny things of this world, and our value system actually then reflects the value system of this world, not of Christ. And as we said at the beginning of the message, how can we expect to influence this world when we look more like this world than we do Jesus? That's what Jesus is protecting us from. And I don't think we do this intentionally, how many of you wake up and say, you know, I know there's probably like 4 billion people who don't know Jesus in this planet, but, um, you know, I just forgot. We, we don't intentionally, consciously forget about these people. We just don't actively go about our day seeing things or people the way that Jesus sees people. Uh, one staff member said, you know, it's, it's, 
it's a struggle because I go about my day just walking around, walking down the street, thinking about my to-do list rather than seeing people as souls who need Jesus. And I said, that's me too. That's me too. And maybe you as well. We get distracted, and when we get distracted, we forget that there's a battle going on. And our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers of darkness in this world. There's a real battle. One more way that I think we let our light be hidden underneath a basket is worry. I know no one here struggles with worry, right? You'll be fine this week. Anxiety won't happen to you. This is the problem of the world. Sunday we get pumped up and it's like, woohoo, Jesus, sing another song, Pastor Levi. I like that one, right? And we're, we feel good after we leave Sunday morning, don't you? I know I do. And then Monday happens and it's like, Monday afternoon, right? It's because of the, the weight of worry, the troubles of this world just snuff that light out. And when that happens, the source of our light is hidden by these baskets. Our light becomes dim. We become a bunch of dimwits. We're dimly lit. And when we're dimly lit and the light goes down low, we end up looking a whole lot like this world. There's no difference. And how can we expect to influence this world when there's no difference from us than the world? And here's, here's the motivation behind this. Don't, don't miss this. He says, he says, let your light shine. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And so the point of the light is not to point the spotlight on us, it's to point people to Jesus, to point people to the source of our good deeds. It's not about the good deeds, it's about the source of the good deeds. If I could, if I could illustrate it like this, let me get the lights down a little bit lower. We're going to have fun. Pastor Levi, come up here. The other campuses miss you and want to see you. So when we become a Christian, we get filled, right? We're the salt of the earth. We're the, where are you going? We're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Come here, Pastor Levi. I chose Pastor Levi because he's, he, hold that down. He's got a lot of light in him. I, I'm thankful for you. God has truly gifted you. Wouldn't you agree, Pastor Levi? He does a great job leading worship. And we're not saying that to make much of you. But when people see you and your good deeds in this community, they can either be pointed to the light, like it's all about you, it's all about you, it's all about your good deeds, or they could be pointed to something else. The motives matter, right? And so Pastor Levi, he's like crazy talented on that guitar, isn't he? He's like, woo! You're so good. Other people don't play the guitar as nicely. They're, they're like here. Pastor Stu's like there. You can barely sing a tune. Or if you're like me, you go out, right? And there's, so again, there's certain things that we do to kind of dim our our light. But, as we said, 
the source of our light, the source of our good deeds is not meant to point people to you. It's meant to point people to someone else. And so when we do these good deeds, when we do this, this light in the community, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. And so you can say the source of my good deeds, the source of my good works is him. Let me tell you about him. It's always about the source. It's never meant to point the attention to you. Thank you. You can step down. Were you worried? I thought, I thought about doing something else with that, but you might have to go to the hospital, Pastor Levi. So motives matter. Our, our deeds are supposed to be. Now, think about this. When's the last time you've um, paid for someone's groceries? You maybe... Uh, you ever pay for someone behind you at the drive-thru? Or uh, I don't, I, I speak against this. I don't want to talk about snow too early. But when's the last time you shoveled someone's snow? We rebuke that word in the name of Jesus, right? But you shoveled someone's snow. You shoveled someone's driveway. And they came up to you and said this. Hey, that was really, really nice. Tell me about your father who's in heaven. When's, that, when's the last time that's happened? For me? Never. It's never happened before. You know that 1 Peter 3.15 question, be prepared to give an answer for your faith, for the hope that you have in you. So the problem is, and I've, you know, a lot of people, that's, sometimes that's happened, but typically it's not the result of good deeds within the community that produce that curiosity in people. So I started wrestling with that this past week. And the danger in taking this sermon, which only lasted 10 minutes, keep in mind, or we can read it in 10 minutes. There might have been more stuff or might have been longer, but we can read it from beginning to end in 10 minutes. The danger is that Jesus, when he preached it, it was not a nine-week sermon series. It was one sermon on the mount. And so we have to take nine weeks to talk about it because it's so great, but in doing so, we end up pulling verses out of context. Can I read you the context in which he says, let your light shine before men so that they will see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. This is the context. Verse 11. Verse 11 says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your word is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Blessed, happy are you when others revile you and persecute and utter all kinds of evil against you. You are the salt of the earth. Great is your reward in heaven, for so they killed the prophets who were before you. You're the light of the world. Let your light shine. So could it be that Jesus really isn't talking about shoveling snow in the name of Jesus so that people will ask you, hey, Tell me about your Father in heaven. But could it be that when you're beaten down by this world, when you stand up for Christ and you do the things that he's called you to do, other people will hate you as a result, but your response won't be despair. It will be happiness. It will be joy. It will be a smile on your face and peace in your heart. The world is full of people, full of people that when their happenings are happy, they're happy. And you don't need to, need, you don't need to know Jesus in order for that to happen. But this, what this world has never seen before, before Jesus, is someone who is, who is beaten, 
who is persecuted, who is put in prison, who is put on trial, who is going through the trouble of this world, when they get the news that their loved one just got cancer, when things aren't going well in their life, and yet they can remember that their reward is not on this earth, but it's in heaven. And nothing could take away that truth. So the result is peace in your heart, happiness, joy, because you have a Father in heaven who cares for you. And when that happens, this world has never seen such bright a light. It's what Paul says in Philippians 2. If you've ever read that passage, he's talking about what Jesus did for us. King of kings and Lord of lords emptied himself, became one of us, taking on the form of a servant, becoming obedient, the Bible says, even to the point of death on a cross. And therefore, God has exalted him above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Have you heard of that passage before? Do you know that in that same passage, this is what Jesus, or what Paul says in verse 14, Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. And this is a good memory verse too, by the way, if you have kids, if you want to get them to memorize this. Can you guys put that on the screen there? Philippians 2, 14. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You can have them memorize it in several translations. Do everything without complaining or grumbling, okay? This is a good one. So how is it? That Paul, when he's pointing to Jesus as our example, says, this is how you are to be. Do everything, no matter the circumstance, without grumbling or complaining. Do you know what the very next verse is, though? Look at what it says in verse 15. So that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Try this if you want a sermon application. When Monday blues hit and Tuesday ain't going well and Wednesday is hump day and you just want to get on with the weekend and get back to church, when things aren't going well for you and you have trouble and trials in your life, your response will make all the difference in people seeing your light. Jesus says you're the light of the world. He says you're the salt of the earth. When the, the things of the society are falling apart like meat does, Decay meat falls apart, you get into it, and you start being the change agent, not separated from this culture, but actually in culture. We should be a little bit slow, pump the brakes a little bit to try to isolate ourselves from everything evil in this world. That's not Jesus' call for us. In fact, when we talk about Jesus as being holy, we're not just saying that Jesus was set apart, which is what the word holy means, that he was totally pure in heart, which is true. We're also saying he was the very one who was perfect, pure in heart, who entered into our pain and suffering. And part of what it means to be salt, part of what it means to be light, is that you go towards the darkness. You go towards that which is decaying. And you get into the pain, and you get into the suffering of this world. Don't be one of those Christians, let's not be one of these churches that when we see the problems of this world, when we read about the stupid, the, just the stupid conversations and comments on Facebook, have you read them? When we just throw up our hands and say, what's wrong with the world? And then we retreat. Do you understand that meat that's going bad can't help but go bad? You understand that darkness can't help but be dark, right? 
What else is it going to do? It's going to be dark. It's going to be smelly. Old decaying fish smell. The question is not, how, why is it so bad? The question is, where's the salt? The question is not so, why is the world so dark? The question is, where's the light? Maybe you want to pull up a mirror and say, that's you. And that's me because that's what we're called to be. This was, this was not the people that Jesus was talking to and criticizing. The people that Jesus speaks against, against this in, in, in this sermon are the Pharisees. You know what the Pharisees did? They retreated in their holiness and got themselves a bowl. They got salt. They were very salty. They knew everything about the law, but they stayed in the salt shaker. Which is why, at the end of this passage, Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The problem wasn't, did they know the Bible? The problem was, wasn't, did they try to protect the church from evil? The problem was, they were content with being on the surface. They were content with being in the salt shaker. They were content with being under a bowl. But when you know him, as a result of what he's done for you, this is who you are to be as a result of the grace that you've received. You got to shake. You got to shine. So, how are you going to shake your salt? How are you going to shine your light this week? How are you going to get into the pain and the suffering of your community, of your friends, and enter into be a hope, a source of light? How are you going to proclaim the goodness of Jesus in the midst of darkness? I want to share one quick story, and then I know the campus pastors are going, oh, I get to share a story, okay? Can I share a story? Some of you guys haven't heard this before. They have. It's the story of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Corey Ten Boom had a sister named Betsy. Many of you have heard of Corey Ten Boom before, but you've not heard of her sister, Betsy. But Betsy was a real woman of faith. And um, the story goes like this. They were, they were uh, rescuing um, Jews from Nazi Germany. They got caught. They were put into prison. They were put into these barracks. Now, when people talk about Nazi Germany and the concentration camps, they, they often refer to the, the torture, the way that people died but they often don't talk about the living conditions that these people had to endure. And it was so bad in some of these barracks that they would itch all the time, constantly itch. And the reason why they itched was because there was actually fleas in these barracks. They couldn't shower. They couldn't get themselves clean. And so this, these diseases and, and fleas would, would result. Well, each day there, there would be soldiers that would go into these barracks and kind of do some a checkup. Make sure they're not smuggling anything in like Bibles. Wouldn't you know that Betsy and her sister Corey would have Bible studies within her barracks? And they knew that if the soldiers came in, they would be found out and they would be killed. They would be tortured. So one day, the story goes like this. Betsy looked at her sister and, and said, you know, we've been reading a lot of, in the scriptures to give thanks in all circumstances, to rejoice and be glad when we're persecuted. And so Betsy looked at Corey Ten Boom and she said, we need to thank God for these fleas. Corey was like, I'm not thanking God for fleas. Are you kidding me? How could I possibly thank God for these fleas? And Betsy said, you're in sin, so I'll thank God for us. And so they thanked God for the fleas. Wouldn't you know that their barracks was the only barracks in that area where the, where the officers, the soldiers, rarely went in. 
And the reason why they didn't enter into that barracks was because of what? They never found the Bibles, and people could still learn about Jesus. I think if I was to be honest, and you were to be honest, when fleas happen in our life, it's kind of like, woe is me, in despair. And when that happens, our light goes out. How we respond in the most troubling of circumstances really is a bright light to our communities. And we can trust that no matter what we go through, God is for us, not against us. That he is causing all things to work out for our good, for his good pleasure. The question is, can we thank God for the fleas? How are we going to respond this week to darkness? Are we going to be salt? Are we going to be light? I want to invite the worship teams to come forward at all of our uh, locations as I close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for the reminder of who we are. That our identity precedes our activity for you, Lord. We don't try to be good to earn your favor. We do good because we already have your favor. You're, call, you're calling us to good works. You're calling us to be sight and uh, salt and an influence in our community, not just to get lit up and then sit around and do nothing, Lord. But because of who we are and the grace that we've received, you've called us to be an influence for you. So I pray that we would do that this week, that we would learn to be a little bit more salty, a little bit brighter, even in the face of difficult circumstances. It's in Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.